love you. Power Ballad Friday. Has there ever been a song sung with with such raw emotion and honesty? If there has, I haven't heard it. <laughs> Shut up, Alan. No one does love like Lionel Richie. When Lionel Richie asks you to please pick up the phone, it's best to listen. <laughs> Hello? Is it me you're looking for? Why aren't you answering? He asks his listeners. And... Alan might be laughing at me, Jenny, but I know that alongside the rest of us listening to this around the country, you're loving this, huh? Uh, Are you there, Jenny? Hello? To be honest. (laughs) Okay. Oh, dear. Okay. All right. So you both don't like it. There's a hole in the heart missing. You have, well, he, he was you're in the incapable. Commodores, for goodness sake. They exactly. were good, but then he just went all slushy. No, he and, did know, not. He's he the did. best. So, someone's really insulting me, not even a power ballad. Um, yeah. All right, so... <laughs> anyway, let me start by saying to you around the country, hello from me, Wallace Chapman. You're on the panel on RNZ National. Oh, by the way, uh, wonderful to have a company. Can I just say, uh, some people saying, look, it is really sad uh, that uh, Marnie Dunlop is leaving RNZ. Something is wrong when such a talent leave. I just want to acknowledge that and say, uh, kia ora Marnie. Uh, you have uh, done some uh, really amazing work, of course, uh, on and uh, with RNZ and on other forums, and we'll miss you and wish you uh, very well. Uh, whatever you oh. are going to do next. Yeah. She's fantastic, isn't she, Wallace? Yeah. I listened to her last um, her last show today, and, I mean, I've, I've been such a big fan. I think she's an amazing woman. Yeah. Panel, yeah. RNZ National. Now, uh, we were just talking about increases to benefits and pension. Nick texted in about his experience with the assisted living benefit. He's on the line now. Kia ora, Nick. Hi there, Wallace, and hello, panel. And um, I was listening to Lionel Richie and... <laughs> What's your verdict, Nick? That song I will go with. I am looking, and now I'm listening. Thank you, Nick. Nice to have you on. All right, so you heard Susan St. John there. Um, uh, uh, ten, hundreds of thousands affected uh, by the increases tomorrow. How would it affect you? What's your story? Okay, so um, um, I've been working since I was 15. I've got three trades. Um, and I've done a lot of sales work. I'm not lazy. I'm just broken. And unfortunately, I um, ended up going into the um, ACC system, who then kicked me off into the social welfare system. Um, and I was on a what used to be called a sickness benefit. And then eventually, when it was sort of quite obvious that I wasn't really able to work anymore, they put me on an invalid benefit, which is now the assisted living benefit. And I was living in a garage for the last six and a half years in central Otago, which is very cold and very hot. Hmm. Yeah. It was uninsulated. It was difficult living. But I, I you know, um, I was okay. Um, now, in 2021, when the benefit went up by $20, the, um, there's several layers to the benefit, and Susan is exactly correct. It affects the additional temporary support, and speaking to any senior case manager, they all give, giggle at the assisted temporary support because it's it's a nonsensical uh, title because it's not additional, it's not temporary, and yes, you do need the support. Oh. So it's just a weird little layer. But what happens is the thinking lid. The system recognises that you're getting more money, 
So it, it deems that you don't need that additional support at that level. So it drops it. So when you, um, in, tw- in 2021, when I got $20, yeah. I actually only saw $6 of it that year. What? Now, the following year, when I got another um, $20 increase, it was all a big fanfare. Oh, $20 more for the beneficiaries, rah, rah. Well, the thing is, is that I saw $8 of that year oh, wow. in 2023, uh, 2022. <clears throat> so this year... Um, it's the same again. It's a sinking lid um, payment. I think they're trying to simplify it by just basically shrinking you until you can't move. Now, it's, it's a bit of a false economy um, because the government spends a lot, well, the taxpayer, sorry, because the government's just the go-between. The taxpayer spends a lot of money supporting these food banks because no one has the stomach to say that the benefits today have just reached 1992 levels. Nick, I'm under half half the um, the minimum wage, yeah. and, I, and I and I can't I can't work. I would love to work. Like I say, I have three trades. You know, um, now I'm living in a van. Now, ironically, yeah. you're living I'm in a van. Better off. Yep. I'm, ironically, I'm better off because the base benefit doesn't change. It's just that the, the accommodation supplement is so small that you eat into your base benefit. So it's just harder to live. You're more likely to visit a a food bank when you have a house than when you don't. Hey, Nick, uh, thank you so much for being with us. Um, Hey, all the best for you. Um, Just before you go, just very briefly, uh, what's the the short, medium-term plan? Uh, Living in a van uh, and a person on an invalid's benefit is just not sustainable, mate. Well, um, with dogs, um, which, which are my family, I don't have. I'm, I'm an. Um, I live alone, and I've lived alone for a very long time, and I don't have any family. So, um, me and my dogs, we just stay in the van, and um, oh, that's us. We live remote, and um, there's you, nowhere where, to rent. Where do you live? Where do you no live? Public housing with dogs. <laughs> where about do you live, Nick? People in front of me. What area? Uh, well, uh, in, in and around central Otago. Um, okay. it's, it's a bit hard when it's cold, but, uh, yeah. um, you know. Hey, go well, fine. Nick, and look, I really appreciate your story. Uh, and, uh, hey, keep in touch with us, eh? Thank you, Wallace, and have a lovely afternoon. I enjoy the show. Thanks, Good panel. Man. Good luck, right, Nick. Uh, that is uh, Nick there. He's on an invalid's benefit living in a van in Otago. Uh, can't be easy there. Uh, you're on the panel. Uh, we have Alan Blackman and Jenny Giblin with us uh, this afternoon. Now, at one supermarket this week, a packet of Silk Baby Wipes Boy set you back $1.59 with a packet of Silk Baby Wipes Girl costing $0.90 cents more at $2.69. The only distinction appeared to be the colour of the packaging, the supermarket in question put it down to, quote-unquote, things being on special at different times. But different pricing for products aimed at different people isn't limited to baby wipes. Now, Bodo Lang has done some work and some uh, research on this as an associate professor of marketing at the University of Auckland. Bodo, kia ora. Kia ora, Wallace. So we are talking about something widely known as pink tax, are we not? Correct, yep. The pink tax is a pretty well-known phenomenon and it's uh, it's really rampant in products that have to do with how we present ourselves in public. So if you think of you know razors, um, clothing, haircuts, personal care products, you know, those are products that are particularly likely to, um, to be victim of basically pink tax um, pricing. 
What sorts, what sorts of products are you likely to find different pricing like this? So I think if you look at razors, for example, there was research done a wee while ago that showed that um, female versions of, of razors were more expensive than their male counterparts. And I think um, from memory, I think it was uh, about 10% or so. So you know, you've got to ask yourself um, how much technology and production goes into these things. Uh, not a huge amount, uh, maybe the number of blades. But, you know, effectively, these were performing the same function, uh, but the female versions were more expensive. And the only really noticeable difference were, was that, you know, color, just like you said in the intro, uh, and they also had a slightly more feminine shape. So, you know, the male versions tend to be blue, black, silver, and sort of have an angular shape, and the female versions tend to be very stereotypical, pink, and a bit more sort of round. So, you know, Goodness it's not me. Really, I know. It's, it does feel like 1923 sometimes. <laughs> um, Jenny Giblin, have you noticed this or not? Some in our office, I was talking about this with our colleagues, some noticed it, some didn't. Uh, yeah, I have noticed it, and um, I suppose if you ask my husband, he would say I'm much more expensive to run than he is by a long shot. Um, but I, I, you know, I've got a mix of boys and girls in, in terms of my my family, um, and I would, as a generalisation, say that um, I think boys are definitely cheaper uh, to run than the than the girls have been. But to be honest, if I was in shopping for, for baby wipes and um, had a daughter, but the boys' baby wipes were cheaper, I would just purchase the cheapest baby wipes i mean this is just about clever marketing and same same with razors if if the blue razors are cheaper than the pink ones well i'd just probably go for for the um yeah for the blue razors so i mean it's kind of using your common sense here and, and i was i remember being like that with you know buying um disposable nappies and you know i mean i just got whatever was on on special to be perfectly honest Bodo? i don't think it matters whether you use it at, um, when you whether you when you're buying wet wipes, whether it's uh, um, blue or pink, really does it? <laughs> I In terms of quality, so. no. I think Jenny's hit the nail on the head. You know, I think it really comes down to um, you know consumers finding the product that is best for them. And you know, if colour is not a key consideration, then you buy the one. You know, you ought to buy the one that performs the best and has the most reasonable price. And I totally agree with Jenny. You know, I think. Consumers shouldn't be um, fooled into thinking that somehow the female version has some magic ability to, to shave 5% closer or make it more feminine or something. You know, it's, it is just, uh, it's just what we call discriminatory pricing, basically. Discriminatory pricing, Alan Blackman. <laughs> well, Jenny, you call it clever marketing. I'd call it dishonest marketing. Let's let's you know, let's pull no punches here. That's exactly what it is. And you know, you're absolutely right. There's no bloody difference between pink wipes and blue wipes, for goodness sake. And you're right to buy the blue ones. For I can't girls. believe there's a price difference. I mean, I mean yeah, that, I, that I actually blows that blows my mind that yeah. there is a price differential between. Uh, yeah, pink, pink wipes. Pink, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. yeah, it's crazy. What other questions do you have, Alan? Because I've got one. Um, what I was really fascinated, a very interesting article, uh, was other examples of discriminatory pricing, and that includes dynamic pricing, which is booking flights earlier versus later, surge pricing, 
which is differences when you take, say, an Uber, depending on the time of the day, mm-hmm. and yep. pricing to acquire mm. new customers, <clears throat> non-customers being offered better deals than, than existing. Exi- Absolutely. And that I, really yeah. pisses me off that. Three oh, examples. Oh, oh. And, yes. Bodo, I've just never thought about it. I just pay whatever goes. Oh, it's that RNZ <laughs> salary. Yeah, sure, Alan. <laughs> Yeah, I think you ought to um, <laughs> maybe look at the pricing a little more. You know? I mean, the discriminatory pricing in flights is unbelievable. You know, I do recall a couple of months ago that there was a bit of a media um, storm about a flight to Wellington, I think it was, one way was something like $800 or something. And I remember the, the CEO of New Zealand saying, look, uh, look uh, um, all you need to do it's just book really early, you know, okay. and, and that may be true, but I think uh, there ought to be some sort of limit to this as well, because if you have a family emergency, you need to go back to the Pacific Islands or to Wellington or whatever it yes. is, and you have really little choice. I don't know, you know, whether you should just be able to price whatever you can. Very interesting, uh, very interesting uh, topic, uh, getting quite a bit of response on this, Bodo. So uh, thank you for that. My pleasure. Um, men's clothing, someone says, is often better made as well. Katmandu base layers for men are better quality wool, while women's are smaller, not as warm, and more expensive. Same branding and dye colours. That is this person's view. Uh, the Nick, who's on an invalid's benefit, yeah. uh, living in a van, they people want us to keep in touch with him. We will keep in touch. Yep. Someone says, Nick is quite right. I'm living in my car I'm 70. Oh, God. It's crazy I'm living alone. No dogs. They will not pay me a living alone allowance. However, if I was living in a camper van, I could get it. Despite being high up on the social housing list for one year and having a serious medical condition, they have yet to find me accommodation. How about that? Oh, jeez. You're on the panel, RNZ <clears throat> National. Uh, here's another one. Uh, I've been through a few of these updates to the benefit, and as someone flatting on my own, uh, it usually equals one coffee. This time it strikes me it would do the same if I went to – I uh, can't understand that email. Uh, quite a bit of response regarding uh, your strained interview questions. I got asked what my favourite shape was. <laughs> It was for a role as a receptionist. I answered triangle. And when I got home, I googled what your favourite shape says about your personality. Apparently, triangle people are ambitious. Circle people are ideal receptionists. Needless to say, I did not get the job. And my partner once got asked what the square root of 100 is. That's absolutely extraordinary. Uh, that someone gets asked what their favourite shape is. Someone, if a psychologist is listening, uh, please email me and uh, ask if that's actually uh, A, appropriate, and mm. does it actually happen. It is 12 away from 5. You're on the panel on RNZ National. We have Alan Blackman and Jenny Giblin with me this afternoon. Thank you very much for uh, your responses today. Now, uh, the debate over banning vehicles on beaches on a popular Northland beach got people heated uh, this week. Uh, And it's uh, 
quite a national issue actually, but the Waipu Residents and Ratepayers Association held a meeting to discuss this issue Wednesday night. They'd like to see vehicle access stopped, and we're joined by Marilyn Cox, the Secretary of the Association and a Bream Bay Coastal Care Trust member. Marilyn, kia ora. Kia ora, Wallace. I'd just better put that right. Um, we that, that meeting was just a sort of a... Um, Find out what the community wants. It was, we hadn't we we haven't a a, um, a position at the Waipu residents and ratepayers. Uh, I have a strong position yes. through the coastal care um, group that I really do would like to see vehicles off the beach, but that's not shared by all the ratepayers. Oh, good, understood. Thanks for the clarification, yeah. Give us the wider issue because the, the deal is this: that this is becoming increasingly an issue around the Motu. Uh, vehicle access on, uh, might I say, some some of our much-loved beaches, and that must include Waipu. What a gorgeous spot it is. Tell us about the issue there. Well, actually, on Waipu Beach, at Waipu Cove, there are no vehicles. There's an area where you can go down to the beach and launch a boat. But on the northern side of the Waipu estuary, it's um, vehicles are permitted. They're permitted all the way up the beach, to Ruakaka, the Ruakaka estuary, where there's a um, there's a um, f- f- 500 metre area where they're banned, which only happened a few years ago now. And but otherwise, people are allowed on the beach. There's an issue around the northern side of the Waipu estuary because it's actually a wildlife refuge designated as a wildlife refuge, and it's a bit debatable about whether vehicles can or cannot go there. But when they do go there and it's in the nesting bird season, you know, shorebird nesting season, it's really um, terrible. You know, they uh, evict lots of nesting birds and many take dogs up and it causes havoc, really. As I, understand it, are, as I understand it, Marilyn, and our panellists will have a few views on this as well, um, many, if not most, of the people at that meeting actually supported vehicles being on the beach. Why? Because they said, look... Uh, it's part of our DNA. It's part of what we do. We've always done this. We take great care when our SUVs go on the beach. What's the problem? Uh, I see a lot of problems, but um, but you're right. Most people at that meeting were, were um, very adamant. They didn't want that tip road beach access closed. Um, well, the big problem is... Done it for years, Marilyn. Yes, they have. Yeah, and... and more and more vehicles are arriving. Everybody's got a four-wheel drive these days. And I don't know, just because you've done something for years doesn't mean it's right. There's a problem, I think, with um, beaches are very fragile environments, particularly the dunes, but also the hard sand. There's a lot of little worms and things living that birds eat, particularly oyster catchers. About 20 years ago, we had oyster catchers nesting maybe every 100 metres along the beach. You don't see many now because it's just impossible with the vehicles driving up and down. Okay. We've just had all these storms. We've had the um, dunes washed out by all these cyclones and storms that we've all experienced. And there's a, cl- a really steep cliff face down from the dunes to the beach. It's A lot of our pedestrian access ways have been washed away. As those dunes reform... The vehicles are impeding that process because if they drive at the toe of the dunes where the sand's falling down off off these crumbly, Mm. steep, vertical, crumbling sandbanks, they're 
you know, they're preventing the, the dune rebuilding. In Understood, the Marilyn. Marilyn, yeah. we've got a panel here. They'll love to have a um, discussion uh, with you as well. And Jenny, I mean, okay. you, uh, you, you have many beaches in Hawke's Bay, some of them highly affected by the cyclone, I can imagine. But uh, what do you think of this? Yeah, we do have lots of beautiful beaches in Hawke's Bay. And hi, Marilyn. I was, um, I'm probably in, in the Marilyn camp in that I don't support, um, I don't support, uh, vehicles on beaches. I think the exception to that would be, you know, obviously when you're putting your boat in and you, you've got to run your tractor up and down and, and, and pop your boat in, I, I don't have a problem with that. But, but, but people driving vehicles along the beaches, which does happen in Hawke's Bay a lot, I just think that is, um, beaches are places for people to relax and, and not worry about the safety of their children. I think it's from an environmental point of view there's a real issue there in terms of the fragility of the sand dunes and the species we have on our um, on our on our beaches um, so I I definitely don't support um, uh, vehicles on beaches okay and that's I, a big you know, no it's a okay, big no. A, yeah, it's a big, <laughs> it's a big no Alan Blackman? Yeah, probably a no from me as well. I'm on your side here, I think, Marilyn. But um, having said that, I think one of the greatest things I've ever done, one of the most amazing things I've ever done was drive my car down 90 Mile Beach. You see? It was absolutely brilliant. (laughs) Complete hypocrite. Exactly, yes. People enjoy doing it, don't they? So do you you get my point, Marilyn? You've got the likes of Alan who says yes on one hand and yet drives his SUV (laughs) at great pace down 90 Mile Beach. Because you know why? Guess what? It's what we do, and that's my point. We are Kiwis, Marilyn, and it's what we do is we drive on beaches. I think we have to stop thinking about what we want to do and grow up a little bit and think about what we need to do. We've got to think about what we're going to leave behind for you know the next generation. Read, reading that story, Marilyn, I think quite a few of the objectors, as far as I could see, were saying that... Um, they were disabled or they couldn't actually get down to the, the beach, you know, well, any, by any I other way. Object, I don't object to disabled people. No, ab- absolutely. But, you know, if, if they've got a disabled sticker on their car, then it's okay? Well, they can get down to the beach. I prefer to see us build more um, parks and easy easy access to the beach. Yep, There's many yep. places in New Zealand where that happens. You don't actually have to drive onto the beach, but mm. easy access onto the beach, that would be preferable, I think. But, mm. you know, yep. I'm, I wouldn't object to a disabled person um, being taken to the beach in a vehicle. Also, you need emergency vehicles, I guess. Yes, and indeed. Mm. Life-saving vehicles. There mm. are some... Um, there are some exceptions. Marilyn, the, you've outlined yep. the issue uh, wonderfully for us this afternoon uh, and getting a lot of response on this. So look, all the very best uh, in the gorgeous uh, precinct that is Waipu mm. and uh, hope to hear from you again. Thank um, you. That's Marilyn Cox there, the Secretary of the Association Waipu and a Bream Bay Coastal Care Trust member. Uh, Beach access was allowed from the days when continuous road access was not widespread. Those days are past. Uh, limited beach access is still feasible, but not for hooning. Yeah. Yep. Uh, yep. And actually yep. regarding yeah. uh, Tōrua, <laughs> we killed off the Tōrua in Murawai and Dargaville by driving on the beach, amongst other issues, and they never fully recovered. It's quite sad, actually. Mm. And I can recall knowing yeah, uh, really. Dargaville, one of those beaches, and, uh, and the Tōrua was, I mean, it's just a taonga, isn't it? Mm. And yeah. to see yeah. those yes. numbers decline, it's really yeah, it is pretty very, very sad. Um, big response to Nick. Uh, on an invalid's benefit, living in a van, 
Otago. Wallace, your guest brought me to tears. I too am unable to work for mental health reasons. I don't receive any benefits as I cannot handle dealing with WINS and IRD. Both organisations act to minimise the benefits provided to those that need them. They make me feel ashamed to ask in the first place. I'm very fortunate in having the proceeds of the sale of my house to live off, though it means I have to rent for me and my two school-aged kids. When that asset runs out, I too will be living in a van. The prospect literally horrifies me. The welfare system is inadequate, and the way it deals with mentally ill people is appalling. I am from Auckland. Well, it's, so sad. You, you have... Listeners, you've been amazing this Friday afternoon, mm. uh, and I don't know what I don't know what else to say. To say thank you for listening, I really appreciate your time. I appreciate you every day joining the panel family. I appreciate the likes of Professor Alan Blackman and Jenny Giblin. All I can do is offer you a song, and that song is "Hello." <laughs> <laughs> is it me you're looking for? And the answer is yes, I'm Wallace Chapman. I'll see you 3.45 Monday. Checkpoint with Lisa Owen is next. See you later. someone love you? Tell me how to win your heart. For I haven't got a clue. But let me start by saying. Love you.